this week, and um, that's what all these decorations are about. We're going to be um, really just ministering to these children and, and telling them about Jesus and who he is. And if you don't know this, um, Casey Jumper, our children's minister, uh, wrote the curriculum that we'll be using this week. Uh, she came up with this theme, Jesus League, and um, really talking about the heroes of the faith and put it all together for us. Um, it's just amazing um, creativity in our body of people who are, are willing and sold out to Jesus and are willing to put that creative talent to use in painting um, you know, backdrops and props and putting this all together, uh, n- not to mention, not the least, uh, of Casey putting it together and, and writing out the curriculum. But what a blessing it is to be to have those kind of people uh, on staff and surrounding us and able to do that. Um, I want you to, I want to call attention, if I might, to this piece of paper that was in your bulletin. And I hope that you will use this throughout the week. And we're going to start by using it today. And um, it says here it's a VBS prayer calendar. Um, and on Sunday uh, uh, 7-7, it says, Pray for God to prepare the hearts for the community to respond well and for new families to attend Memorial Baptist Church. Thank God in advance for the blessings and opportunities He will provide through Vacation Bible School. And so we're going to take time this morning and pray for those requests and, and use this prayer guide. I also want to tell you that there's these um, handy uh, bracelets in the back so that we can pray for those who will be working and serving in Vacation Bible School. And if you will uh, take those uh, when you leave this morning and remember to pray for them all week long because we've got people that are going to be serving these children. And folks, it's exhausting after you go to work all day and then you come and you're with children all evening. So we're going to pray for strength. We're going to pray that God would provide that supernatural power that we need all week as we minister to these kids. Um, but do take those and pass those out and, and uh, uh, let people be praying for everybody that is working. Um, we're going to have a special commissioning service at the end of this service. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just pray that God would be uh, in and through our Vacation Bible School. Um, Father God, we, we thank you for all that you do. And Father, it is our great honor to serve you. And Father, I pray that even now that you would prepare the hearts of the people in our community, in the neighborhoods around our church, Father, that, that uh, they would be bringing their children uh, to Vacation Bible School. Uh, Father, we, we have 94, I believe, registered for children registered for Vacation Bible School. And I pray, Father, that you would help us as we teach them about who Jesus is and give them opportunity to respond to your great invitation. I pray, Father, that you would uh, prepare the hearts of those that will be here. I pray that you would prepare the hearts of the leaders and the workers. And, Father, that you would give us a special stamina all week long. Father, that we would be able to uh, just maintain and and pull together all of the resources uh, that that you have uh, for uh, leading others uh, to you. And Father, I thank you for all of the many, 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 many hours of labor, uh, a labor of love that has gone into creating a space uh, for a learning environment for these children. And I pray, God, that you would use it all uh, for your glory and your honor. 
Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us and that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts. Uh, Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you for all that you do every single day in our lives. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 and we're starting a, a series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' premier teaching opportunity, if you will. Uh, lots to learn from the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to dive into that in just a moment in, in Matthew chapter 5. But picture a testimony service in a local church. You know, a, a man gets up, he's well-dressed, he's, he's uh, distinguished, he stands up before the congregation, and he tells the entire congregation, he says, I am a blessed person. And then in his testimony, he begins to talk about and to enumerate all of his blessings. You know, a faithful and loving wife of many, many years. Um, a, a successful and large, prosperous business uh, two sons, one has become a lawyer, one is a, a physician. Two daughters who are married and they, they, they have married successful businessmen. And six healthy grandchildren. And you know, he, he goes on and he talks about it. And without a doubt, this man is a fortunate man. To have all of that uh, in his quiver, so to speak. But now let's think about other people listening to this man's testimony that may not feel quite as fortunate as this man. I mean, one man in the audience, he's, he's sitting out there and he's thinking about his son who is addicted to drugs. He's thinking about his unmarried pregnant daughter. He's thinking about his wife who has cancer and the fact that all of their finances have been drained and he says to himself, listening, he says, I then must not be blessed. Because I don't have what he has. Unfortunately, many people base their concept of God's blessings on the material circumstances of this life. We have our eyes on the wrong things. And so what we think is, we think if we don't have something that someone else has, that we are not blessed. That somehow God has overlooked us. That somehow we are not what we should be in his kingdom. Folks, that is a lie from the enemy. That is not true. See, what's remarkable about the focus of the Beatitudes is, is not, it is not on doing it doesn't so much define a set of actions for us as it does describes a kind of character. Someone has pointed out that it isn't the, the do attitudes. It's not the be happy attitudes. It's the be attitudes, the be attitudes. It's a description of what it looks like to be a disciple. It is a portrait of someone in whom Jesus Christ dwells. Now as we enter into the world of our text, please understand that at this point, Jesus' authority as, an, as a teacher has clearly been established. It was evident to all that he spoke and he acted with great divine authority. Authority from above 
That when he spoke, it was as if God was speaking. When he created and did these miracles, it was, it was God working through him and in him. And, and we see huge crowds were following him and multitudes were coming to him and they were eager to have him heal them. They wanted his healing. And it was in that context that Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and following, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Loving Father, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts. Father, show us our own insufficiencies. Father, that we may throw ourselves at your feet. Father, that we can rely upon you more. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would blanket this place, even now, that you would guide us to all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I mean, it certainly isn't hard to pick up on the theme of the Beatitudes. It's... Be blessed. It, it has to, to, to do with being blessed. And the Greek word used here, makarios, in the normal sense, it means happy. <laughs> Don't worry, be happy. Well, the word beatitude itself comes from a Latin word. Now this sounds kind of funny when I say it. Beatitudo. I'm not just making that up, that's the actual word. But it really means perfect happiness or bliss. And in fact, the Jerusalem Bible translates it accordingly. It says, how happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the gentle. Happy are those who mourn. But folks, we shouldn't understand this, this kind of happiness. This, that the happiness is, is not meant in the sense that we're accustomed to thinking about. You know, it's not the same when, when we think of happy or pleasant circumstances or having delight in those, like when we wish somebody a happy birthday. We're asking that they would have a great day, that it would be a happy day for them. Or when we eat maybe a happy meal. You know, or we meet somewhere and, and we have a good time, let's say a happy time at the beach or on vacation. 
That's not the kind of happy we're talking about. We're also not talking about the noble kind of happy when we talk about the happiness of, you know, um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not the happiness that we're talking about. Jesus is speaking of a happiness that is the believer's experience. What you experience as a believer when you are in the midst of very unhappy circumstances. A happiness that occurs even during such things as grief mourning. Or hungering and thirsting. Or being persecuted unfairly. See, this is a happiness that does not have as its source any human or earthly circumstance whatsoever. It's a divine kind of happiness. A happiness above the circumstances. It's about being something. And this is important and don't miss this. It's about being something. It's about being a privileged recipient of God's gracious favor and unmerited blessing. (laughs) It's about receiving something from God that you didn't have before, that you didn't earn, that you don't deserve. This is what this happiness is. It's about being. It's about being a privileged recipient of God's gracious favor. So when we say that someone is blessed, we mean that they are the recipients of something given to them by God. Something God has given you. We cannot be happy, in a sense, without receiving, being a recipient of God's favor. I think this is huge because Jesus spoke about blessed people. He spoke here about those that are blessed. And and the, the truly blessed person possesses these eight characteristics. And you see, understand this, that being blessed refers to our relationship with the Lord. So what I am saying is apart from that relationship with the Lord... It is impossible to be blessed. Being blessed is in relationship to our relationship with the Lord. And according to Jesus' definition of blessing, any person in any circumstance can be blessed if that person possesses the characteristics that are given by God. See, blessed people have an inward character related to God. And in inward character, meaning on the inside. This is huge because the first four Beatitudes describe the believer's relationship to God. They tell us about the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. <laughs> you know, to be poor in spirit means to be able to sense our great Spiritual poverty. This breaks my heart. Because when we talk about poverty in this land, we don't really get it. We don't understand what poverty is, especially spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
See, the kingdom of God consists of people who admit sinfulness and our lack of spiritual sufficiency. See, when we, think, when we talk about in, 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 insufficiency, when we talk about insufficiency, we're talking about a lack of having what is needed. When you talk about poverty, it is a lack of sufficiency. It's not having what you need. When we talk about spiritual poverty, it means not having what you need. God's people, the people in God's kingdom, admit sinfulness and spiritual insufficiency. We don't have what it takes. We have to receive something from above. It's his grace, it's his mercy, it's his unmerited favor. See, understand this, that we are sinners who stand under the holy wrath of God. And we deserve nothing, nothing but eternal condemnation. What we deserve is what we call hell. It's what God calls hell. In his word. That's what we deserve. See, Max Lucado, he, he calls the poor in spirit beggars in God's soup kitchen. Beggars in God's soup kitchen. Their cupboards are bare. Their pockets are empty. Their options are gone. They have long sock, excuse me, they have long since stopped demanding justice. They are pleading for mercies. They don't brag. Instead, they beg. Folks, if we don't recognize that, then we are in deep trouble. Because everything good that we have comes from Almighty God. See, the mourners are people in God's kingdom who grieve over evil. They mourn over the sin in the world and in their lives and they long for a day when King Jesus will reign on earth. A new heaven and a new earth. When King Jesus will reign, God's people also possess the meekness of God. And the best synonym, the best word for meekness is, is the word gentle. The truly meek person is the one that is amazed that God and people can think of him or her as well as they do. You know where you've been. I know where I've been. I know the things I've done. You know the things you've done. It's a wonder that God even wants to hang out with us. But listen, how we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. Folks, there's a lot of brokenness around us. All of our lives are broken. And we need to walk with the broken. See, the inward character, moving on, the inward character of a Christian hungers and thirsts after righteousness. See, mourning over our past sins is not enough. Christians must hunger for future righteousness. Think about this for a moment. It's not enough just to be sorry and to, to, to mourn over our sins that we've committed. We need to be, be looking for what's coming down the road. 
I love this because I was, I was thinking about this and, and uh, this came to mind in a classic comic, Calvin and Hobbes. You know Calvin and Hobbes? I love those. They're so, so great. But they were talking about New Year. You know, how the New Year, how it comes in. And then Calvin says this. He says, I'm getting disillusioned with each of these new years. They don't seem new at all. Every new year is just like the old year. Here another year has come and everything's still the same. There's still pollution, there's still war, there's still stupidity and greed. And I thought all those things were supposed to improve. I thought the future was supposed to be better. After listening to his skeptical soliloquy, Hobbes replies, The problem with the future is that it keeps turning into the present. What we imagine, what we see as the future, keeps turning into the present. We might imagine something greater, we might imagine something more wonderful, and it keeps turning into the present. That where we are today is where we find ourselves. It's the present we, we imagine this for the future. The problem with the future is that it keeps turning into the present. But understand this, that blessed people, blessed people have outward expressions of God-given character. It's what's on the inside, yes. But what's, in the in, what's on the inside affects what's on the outside. See, the next three Beatitudes, they describe how people of his kingdom express their regard for other people they demonstrate mercy they demonstrate purity of heart they demonstrate peacemaking see to be merciful means to have compassion both on the meek the gentle but also on the sinful kingdom people should show mercy also Christian character also expresses itself in purity of heart. I mean, purity of heart means that single-mindedness, that, that single focus with sincerity. These people are free from the tyranny of being double-minded or having a divided self. One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, so to speak. When we have purity of heart, we, are, we, are, we have integrity, we are where we need to be, we are one before God, and we are all in with Him. But so much of the time, we don't see purity of heart. We don't see this characteristic in God's people. See, God's people express their inward faithfulness by playing the role of peacemaker. Whenever isolation and separation exists among human beings God's people are the ones who are to take on the role of being a peacemaker see Jesus is also saying blessed people receive hostile reactions to their Christian character if these eight characteristics are, are, are what allow us and, and show others that we are believers, then recognize that we're going to become under fire for those eight characteristics in our lives. I think this is big. Because Jesus wanted his followers to realize that people who live for the kingdom are going to suffer. Living the kingdom life would result in persecution, persecution, for righteousness' sake, 
persecution and like being insulted or being falsely accused. And entering his kingdom means undergoing a transformation of our values, of your values. The problem is, is we want to take Jesus and we want to add him to who we are. Jesus says no. He says it's going to take a a total rebuild. I don't want what you've built on this property. I want the property and I want to rebuild something here that's greater than what the world has made. You see, when the attitudes become the beatitudes and they are applied to our lives, the gulf, hear me now, the gulf widens between our values, his kingdom values, and the world. There's a problem there. There's a separation that happens there. God's people are often strangers in the middle of worldly values. We're often the unwelcome disturbers of the world's values. And notice this, that Jesus calls those who live for him and go against the worldly standards, those who swim upstream, he calls them blessed. You are blessed. I am blessed. We are blessed because we belong to the king. We are blessed because his values become our values. Because we no longer serve those uh, little G gods in the world, but we serve the one true God. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Folks, we are blessed. Jesus calls those who lives for him and goes against the worldly standards blessed. Let me make a quick observation or two and, and, and to wrap this up and help us to interpret and understand and to apply this sermon to our lives. The first thing is this. These eight qualities can only be lived out by Christians. These spiritual standards come about only through our surrender to Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, you could try to live these out on your own, but they're not going to carry the weight that they will if your life is surrendered to Jesus Christ. They cannot. Jesus is not saying live these in order to be saved. He's saying you live like this because you are saved. You show mercy. You do these things because you are saved. Secondly, conduct, conduct must flow out of character. A Christian is one who embraces and embodies the Beatitudes. If we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we probably ought to take notion to what he's teaching. We probably ought to listen, hear, and obey the things that he is telling us in his word. And folks, this, this Sermon on the Mount, we embrace that and we embody that. And another way to say that is if you want to, if you want to spot a Christ follower... Look for these eight character qualities. See, that should be very convicting to us. Because if we're not being the peacemaker, if we're not doing these things, if we're not being these things, then what are we following and who are we following? Thirdly, I would say the Beatitudes are a package deal. It's not something you can pick and choose. You know, along with the fruit of the Spirit which ripens in each believer... A Christian should and must display each of these character traits. 
This isn't just for the spiritual elite. Those who we look up to and say, well, they are our spiritual mentor. This is for every believer. Every believer needs to embody these things. In addition, they're not eight separate groups of disciples. They're not the peacemakers. They're not the, the pure in heart. They're not the, the, those that are mourning. It's not these different groups of disciples. They all come together as a package deal. And it's easy for us to make the mistake of saying, well, you know what, Brother Ridge, I'm just not merciful. I'm not a merciful person. Or maybe we say something like, I'm just not a peacemaker. You know, Oswald Chambers, he refers to these words as lovely and poetic, but he says their impact is that of a spiritual torpedo. Jesus isn't saying everybody can't be a peacemaker. Everybody should be a peacemaker. Everybody, as a believer, needs to be poor in spirit. Needs to be broken over sin. Needs to hunger and thirst after righteousness. As a believer, those things need to be in our lives. We can't pick and choose the easy ones and ignore the difficult ones like being pure or being prepared for persecution. But just so that we're clear, many of the Beatitudes are the exact opposite of what we want. This isn't easy for anyone. And what I'm saying is you can't do it on your own power. You have to rely on his power. John Stott, he wrote this. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus. Though arguably it is the least understood and certainly the least obeyed. Fourthly, Behavior must flow out of belief. I mean, our correct doctrine must always lead to Christ-like behavior. We must not only know what we believe, but we must also understand how to behave. While Jesus teaches content through the Sermon on the Mount, these opening words deal with character. He starts his sermon off by talking about what a character in the kingdom of life looks like in a person. Jesus is emphasizing throughout this sermon that his disciples are to be different. I didn't say weird. Austin's got enough of that for all of us. But we are to be different. We're to be different. You know, John Stott, he also said that in Matthew 6, 6 8 is the key to this, uh, this teaching. Chapter 6, verse 8 says... So do not be like them. <laughs> Jesus is teaching us what we need to, to be like, but he's saying, don't be like them. And really, he's, you know, you, you think about that. They, they were not to take their cue from the people around them, but from him. So to prove in that that they are genuine children of their heavenly father. See, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to be stamped. We are to be formed. We are to be made into his image by Christ. We are to be made in his image, not like the image of the culture around us, not like the tendencies within us. My Bible says that in Genesis that God created us in his image and he made us male and female. 
That's a whole other sermon. We'll save that for another time. But as believers, we are to be stamped, formed, made into the image of Christ. And we're to be different from the rest of the world. Number five, Jesus wants us to seek the applause of heaven. Jesus says those who are blessed are those whose lives are aligned rightly. They are aligned with righteousness, with with God. And the root idea here is approval. See, when we bless God, we are approving and praising Him. And when He blesses us, He is expressing approval of us. And in the sight of heaven, those who live out what God is spelling out are superlatively blessed. You know that word superlatively? We might shorten it down to say super blessed. The highest blessed. Not just good, better, best, but superlatively, superly blessed. And that's really what what Jesus is communicating. He's expressing approval of those who are like this. Blessed, super blessed are the poor in spirit. Super blessed are those who mourn. Super blessed are the gentle. I mean, it's almighty God that is extending his endorsement to us. Do you see how each one of those beatitudes starts with that word? It shows priority. It shows importance. Max Licato, he captures this idea in his book called The Applause of Heaven. He says, God applauds the poor in spirit. He cheers the mourners. He favors the meek. He smiles upon the hungry. He honors the merciful. He welcomes the pure in heart. He claps for the peacemakers. And he rises to greet the persecuted. How much do you crave God clapping for you? I'll tell you what. Most of us are more concerned about how many likes we get in our, on our vacation photo rather than seeking the, the approval of heaven and almighty God. Amen. We're more concerned about what people think about what we look like as we take our selfies than what God thinks. And he says, Ridge, good job. Thank you for being a peacemaker. Hey, good job. Thank you for being poor in spirit because I know that you are dependent upon me and not upon yourself. How badly do you want his blessing? Chuck Chuck Swindoll, he says in commenting on the Beatitudes, he says this, he says, most sermons are negative than positive. More like scathing rebukes than affirmation, but not this one. With beautiful simplicity, using terms any age could understand, Jesus brought blessing rather than condemnation. Having endured a lifetime of verbal assaults by the scribes and the Pharisees, the multitude on the mount must have thought they had died and gone to heaven. I like that. 
Matthew 7, 28 says, When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. It's clear while this sermon was clearly addressed to the committed, the crowd was also listening in. Mark 12, 37 says that when the crowd paid attention to Jesus, they did so with great delight. In other words, they enjoyed listening to him. And as I wrap this up, that's the way our Sunday services are designed at Memorial. We want believers to grow through our love for God and our praise to Him and through the preaching of His Word. But we also want those who are curious, maybe even those who are skeptical, to come and to be awakened to the truth with a capital T and the beauty of Christ. See, we shouldn't focus just on the crowd, nor should we just speak to those who are believers. Those of us who are followers need to be challenged to be more committed. Those in the crowd need to hear about Jesus in a setting they can believe. It's both and, not either or. It's both and. So the best advice I can give you this morning is whatever God is putting on your heart, whatever He's dealing with you, whatever He's speaking to your heart, I want to say this, do it now. Do it now. Don't procrastinate. While Hobbes didn't like how easily the future turns into the present, we must make changes right now in the present in order to have the future that we desire. Imagine this. Imagine that you have a bank account (laughs) with a direct deposit that receives $86,400 every morning. Hello. Be like, yeah, that sounds great. The key is, is that you have to spend it every day. Otherwise, you lose it. $86,400. You're told you can spend this money any way you want, but at the end of the day, whatever you don't spend is lost. What do you think you'd do? Try to spend it every day, huh? All of it. (laughs) You have 86,400 seconds every day. It's given to you as a gift. It's deposited into your account. And you've got to use them or they're lost. You can spend it all every day. But whatever you don't spend at the end of today is lost. You'll never be able to reclaim it. You'll never be able to go back. So I say let's make this day and this year count. As we love God... As we worship and learn from Him. As we love others. As we share our faith with others and we disciple. And let's serve the world as we live out the Beatitudes in reaching out through our words and through our actions to others. Love God. 
love others, serve the world. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for all that you do. I thank you for your word. And Father, I know that your Holy Spirit is at work in each of our hearts. Holy Spirit, even in this moment, I just ask that you would guide us, that you would convict us, that you would lead us to all truth. The truth about ourselves, the truth about our selfishness. Father, the truth about our sinfulness, our own spiritual poverty. Father, that we would see how much we lack spiritually. God, that we could have as much of you as we desire. Father, I pray that you would do that this morning, that even in this time of invitation, this time of response, Father, that you would take us to task. Father, that you would help us to be more committed. Father, that you would show us the great joy in slowing down and working on our relationship with you and our relationship with your body. Father, that we would spend time each day with you and with your people. God, that we would desire to to serve better, to work on our serve, Father. Lord, that we could serve an ace each time we get up to serve. Father, that it would be a one beautiful blessing for you. Father, I pray that you would help us to stay where we need to be with you so that we might serve you better. Father, I pray that you would have your way in each of our hearts as we continue to seek you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.